0: This episode of Making an Addict is sponsored by Able Life Recovery, an online recovery coaching service for men and women struggling in addiction or thriving in recovery. Select a recovery coaching plan that fits your style, schedule your first appointment, and use promo code LIFE to receive 25% off the plan. Visit AbleLiferecovery.com for additional information. Addiction is a chronic disease. Millions of people worldwide suffer from substance and behavioral addictions. An addict's life is often unmanageable, leaving the addict and his or her family and friends feeling completely powerless over the disease. Without treatment, addiction can result in disability or premature death. You are listening to Making an Addict. My name is DJ Burr and I'm an addict in long-term recovery. I'm a licensed psychotherapist, behavioral addiction specialist, and best-selling author of I Just Wanted Love, Recovery of a Codependent Sex and Love Addict, now available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. I intend to bring you different perspectives about addiction from various sources, including other addicts in recovery, clinicians who treat recovering addicts, and family and friends of addicts to discover what makes an addict. Listener discretion is advised. To learn more about this podcast, check us out at makinganaddict.com, or follow me on social media at DJBurr1022 on Facebook, the TheDJBurr on Instagram, and at DJBurr1022 on Twitter. Welcome to Making an Addict. I'm DJ Burr, and I'm speaking with Diana today. And Diana, welcome to the show. Thank you, DJ. So, Diana, I'm asking people what their thoughts, feelings, and beliefs are about what makes someone an addict. And so I'm grateful that you're here today to answer that question for yourself and to give us some insight. So what do you think?
1: Thanks, CJ. Um, That is a good question and I love that um, I can think about it, it, how it affects me or what um, I think about it. And so um, I think that I believe that for me, it may um, have started with my family of origin I'm not sure, but um, it seems to me that it was very chaotic, very what I would say dysfunctional, and we didn't have alcoholism per se. I mean, my parents didn't drink that I could that we saw, but they had almost like an alcoholic um, behavior, or um, just our we lived in chaos and emergency mode all the time, and um, so I think that when I was little, ever since I was little, learning how to not listen to myself to what I was feeling and, um, and definitely not express it or ask for help. I think that could have influenced that. Um, I'm not sure if I believe how much I believe in genetics or not. I know that was my other illnesses. Um, I do see a correlation, but as far as addiction, I don't know, um, how that, that works, but I know it definitely, um, from my environment. I think it's uh, it was huge. So I think that, yeah, um, I grew up that way. I grew up in a very, um, not saying how I felt. So I think that um, it, it makes sense to me now looking back that I would look for um, ways to soothe myself and to um, get out of whatever feeling I was feeling so that I didn't... Um, I have to feel those feelings. Um, and I have, uh, several addictions. and One of them being, being food, which is something that, um, you know, is around all the time. And I do actually recall with that being, um, soothed or somebody offering it to me as a comfort. So I know that in that respect, um, that the the same wasn't done with me with alcohol and that ended up being my, I would say probably my number one addiction. But, um, with food, it was. And so I think that I just learned that. I learned that um, when I'm not feeling good and when I'm sad and when I need something to help me get out of those feelings, um, it was always to look outward.
0: Wow. So can you talk about what would happen when you would at least maybe try to state what your needs and wants were or to ask for help? Did you get a negative response and that's what turned you inward?
1: Yeah, I think I did. And... At a very, very young age, I mean, I can remember, um, because of the 12-step programs I've been in, I've I've been able to think about it um, in detail, and I can remember about, you know, being about four years old, even, and knowing already that what I was feeling, um, I couldn't express it to my parents for sure, not my dad. My dad and I didn't really have a relationship, but even my mom, she was very strong and very dominant, and you could read her face um, immediately at least I could as a child. So I knew when to say things and when not to, and whenever I did, for whatever reason it came out, how I was feeling, um, I would even get whipped, so um yeah, it was I got to the point where I knew what to say and what not to say. And then even doing that, um, learning how to say something when that's not what you really feel, I think is very, very damaging and, you know, can lead to addiction.
0: Yeah, I'm sorry to hear that because that's the experience for a lot of us. When I say us, I mean people in recovery, right? You know, we have our th- <clears throat> we have our thoughts and our feelings and then we get shut down. And then we shut down. Right, Right. and and we just shut it all down it's not important, I'm not important those are messages that I told myself and those are messages that I hear from other people Um, would you say that you had a primary message um, that you held internally yeah I think that um,
1: I never um, could hear or or see or think um, words specific words because I remember people asking me as I got older if I thought I was worthless or, um, you know, not important, but I do think that I got that feeling because I know that, um whenever i I would um have any kind of a question, I was always hesitant to ask for sure to ask for help, even as a child, um, when I had you know like a, if I was in pain or I hurt myself, I always knew that I was gonna get spanked or whipped on top of the pain that I was already having, so yeah, I think I had that um. Two things. I think I got the message that um, I wasn't valuable enough to take care of, and then that it was um, a bother somehow. There, oh, there were six of us, and so uh, my mom was always, and she's the main person in our life, um, was always rushed and too busy and too tired to take care of us.
0: Do you think she was overwhelmed?
1: Looking back at it now, I do. I do. I think that a lot of even her anger came from that. I know my dad wasn't a big part of our life. He was present uh, but not present, and so um I think that um, she may have been struggling with her own feeling overwhelmed and maybe even not sharing with him that she needed some support and so maybe having that kind of um relationship problems that ended up getting kicked out on us.
0: right, so maybe if Mom wasn't asking for help, that was the model. Mm-hmm. Right. True. That. Yeah. Where would you have learned to ask for help if you didn't see it happening?
1: True. I hadn't thought of that part of it yet.
0: Okay. Yeah. I. You know. I always think in in those terms because we have um, models, right? Yeah. We don't yeah. learn this stuff by ourselves, at least not all of it, right? Okay. So, and our first models are our parents or caregivers, right? Because mm-hmm. not everyone has their their biological mother or father as their primary caregiver. And so I think it's important to look at, you know, our family of origin and the models that they projected.
1: Mm -hmm, mm I agree with you. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And and so you said that there were six of you. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, and you said that you deal with several addictions. Would you say the same for your siblings? Do they have addictions as well?
1: Interestingly enough, um, from the beginning, I would say, from a very early age, I am second to the youngest. I think, and I don't know if they would feel the same way, but it feels to me now that I ended up being somehow, I don't know that I was chosen, but I just ended up that way, being the sick one in the family. So I think that I took on a lot of, um, a lot of illnesses. I was overweight before anybody in our family was. I was always sickly. My mom was always taking care of me, so I think that that may have absorbed some of maybe their, um maybe biggest inclination towards it. I do believe personally that they have um, issues that they need to resolve, even with alcohol and um, different things. But none of them have gotten to the point where, as far as addiction goes, it's affected their life so much that they've had to. Um, you know, either face it or do something about it the way I have.
0: Okay. When did you uh, realize that you had a problem? What what was happening?
1: Interestingly enough, we grew up in a very strict religion. Um, and so a lot of this, a lot of addiction, a lot of um, depression, a lot of things was hidden behind that. And so as I got older and got sicker, I know that... Um, it, it, it was because I got depression right away and i when I was twenty and um I was suicidal immediately as soon as I got that that I do believe is possibly uh, somehow physical because um at the time I was doing really well in our, my religion, I had lots of friends I was healthy physically, so I was very surprised at um having this uh, suicidal ideation when um, I believed in God and in a wonderful life, so it it hit me really interestingly. But um, so that one part might be physical, but um, so for a long time I didn't realize I had any addictions. Probably food when I did,
0: because mm-hmm. I
1: struggled with that. But I thought everybody struggled with that, or a lot of people did. Um, in the U.S., especially I noticed. Um, and so because when I would go back to Mexico and visit family members, I was always. Um, the biggest at the time in Mexico didn't have as big of a problem with weight and so I stood out and um, and you know in the family people would mention it to me so the food addiction I think um, I had early on but I didn't know it I didn't recognize it as an addiction but the alcohol I had a gastric bypass done in 2005 And so now alcohol, I'm sure of it. Um, I haven't studied, looked for studies or anything on it, but alcohol affects me completely differently than it did before my gastric bypass. Now I drink two drinks and I'm drunk. And so um, when I started drinking again after I had my gastric bypass, I had left home, I was 40. I had left home and um, lived by myself in Texas, very far away from my mother. We were very enmeshed. And uh, I started going out I wasn't of the religion anymore that I had been, so I also started acting out in different other ways, and for sure, my alcoholism escalated and um that's where my um that addiction started. I would say both that one and my uh, some of my other addictions mm-hmm.
0: so food and alcohol are primary for you
1: they have been um for yeah most of my adult life,
0: okay. And were there major consequences that finally got you to the point where you said, enough's enough, I need help?
1: Uh, yes. Um, not, I don't know if I ever, or how I would have gotten to that point without help from somebody else. Because um, when I'm in addiction, um, I see through addiction eyes. So when I'm acting out, um, even if I recognize that I'm not happy, I don't know what to do about it. I'm out of control. So I um, don't know if I ever would have got help on my own. I know that with my alcoholism, uh, I, um, the last time I got drunk, I um, it was at my sister's house, and I destroyed their um, dining room and had glass all over I woke up, because uh, I'm a blackout drinker. Okay. So I woke up in the morning, and my sister had had enough. This wasn't the first time I'd done something like that. And so she said, pretty much, you know, you help. Or we won't be able to have a relationship, and her and I are very, very close. So um, that was enough to. My mom had passed away by then, and my other siblings were estranged from me because they're still of the religion that we grew up in, and since I'm not of that religion, that religion um, teaches you to. Um, they call it disfellowship, but it's actually ex- like excommunicating the persons that aren't from that religion anymore. So um, I'm not close to anyone. So she was like basically my only family member that. I was close to and to lose her relationship was enough to get me to admit so that I needed to go to the hospital.
0: Well, thank goodness that she set that firm boundary.
1: Thank goodness. Yeah, mm-hmm. and
0: you're still close with her. Oh my
1: god, I owe her my life. We now, um, fortunately, I've been sober now, it's gonna be five years in June. Beautiful. Thank you. And um, we. Now we help each other out, and it's such a great feeling. Oh my God, I just can't even explain it. She's my best friend, and I owe her my life. And thank goodness, because of the progress I've been able to make since I've gotten sober, um, she also feels like she can learn from me and that I have stuff that I can um, help her with, which is amazing.
0: Great. Uh Okay. What are some other things that have come into your life? as a result of you getting sober?
1: Oh, my goodness. Where do I start? Um, (laughs) First of all, sanity. Yeah, well, good. (laughs) That's the first thing, because, I mean, when you start living a crazy, crazy, uh, addicted life, I mean, I... They say that um, every bottom has a trapdoor. I've heard that just recently, and I believe it. I know. Can you imagine? Because my bottom... Was so bad that I can't even imagine there was worse. But thank goodness I didn't have to go there.
0: I've never heard that. Oh
1: yeah, that's oh, they say. Wow, um, I gotta be careful. <laughs> I think I'm always gonna have to be careful. You know, as addicts, yeah. um, we never graduate. So right, fortunately, um, or unfortunately, I'm not sure which of the two. <laughs> I'm. Uh, I have to continue on my recovery, working on it all the time. But I've just been so sanity. It says first, and that, and the promises. Um, of the twelve steps because i I went through the twelve step method mm-hmm. and the promises of the twelve step come thank goodness for me have come almost immediately as soon as I start doing the right next right thing um things start getting better for me so let's say um I started I got a a home a permanent home now or um at least housing is what and that's something that was very difficult to get into I remember when I um and it's so funny because I have so many stories of higher power moments, but um, my housing is one of them. I signed up for it when I was still drinking, and they said it was going to be two to five years. And um, I lived in Tacoma, and I wanted to live in Seattle. I had been coming to Outpatient over here and commuting on the bus, and it was just a mess. And um, so I was, um, my therapist suggested I start going to a different 12-step program. And I said, Oh, you know, I can't go to another program and it's so far away in Seattle and I'd get home like at midnight in Tacoma. So I said, No, I can't do it. I can't do it. And then um, I'm not kidding you, six months later, I get a call from housing and they say, We have an apartment we'd like you to look at. Um, Do you want to come to Seattle? And I said, Sure. I come and the apartment is five blocks away from the place where I go to meet. <laughs> I'm like, Okay, I power. I get it. Yes. I will go, go to them. So, um, yeah, housing. I have a car now, which um, isn't always a plus in Seattle, but it, it has been for me.
0: Wow. Yeah, so
1: I have a car. Um, just beautiful, beautiful people in my life. Um, and work-wise, oh my goodness, I wouldn't have ever been able to do where I've been now. Um, I'm a national public speaker now for suicide prevention. have gone all over the U.S., just spoke at the White House about... Three months ago now? I still can't believe it. So yeah, I
0: heard about this. Yeah. Yeah. How was that experience?
1: Oh my goodness. Surreal. When people say that, now I know exactly what they mean. You know the um picture you think of the White House when you see uh, press conferences where they have the blue curtain yeah. and the logo? That's uh-huh. the room we were in. Oh wow. So to have that behind me while we were speaking, I was on a panel. Um, It was just, I had to remind my or not remind myself, tell myself I'm not at the White House. I'm not at the White House the whole time I was talking because if not, it was overwhelming. Wow. but it was amazing it It showed me again um what can happen if you get into recovery that, um of all the places I could have spoken for sure this um speaking on suicide prevention is my heart. So to speak anywhere and to have an effect on another person's life is great for me. But to be able to speak on the biggest platform I think in the u s. Um, it was huge. It was wonderful.
0: Now in your talks, do you talk about, uh, suicide prevention and addiction recovery? Are they linked in any way in anything that you share?
1: Um, I just recently started doing videos cause I do videos for the, um, organization I work for. Um, they're going to use them. A lot of them, they use them on their website, but they're going to start using them for, um, training Great. for clinicians. Yeah. And, um, uh, and there we just, I just started doing a series on substance abuse, because believe it or not, when I went into, because I speak as a lived experience person, so I tell about my um, my history in the system, and then my attempts, and then how I was or wasn't helped. And um, what was your question? I'm going to forget, but um, they, oh, I just recently noticed that subs, that alcohol was involved in every single one of my attempts. Which was very surprising that I'd never brought that up. Ah. I had never pinpointed that. And I mean, it makes so much sense. It makes know, a lot I'm, of sense. I'm an alcoholic. And so I just couldn't even believe that I had never talked about that part. Because mostly what I'm doing now, um, or had been doing up to now, was talking about how the system had failed me. And how possibly we could catch or help um, people who are in that circumstance now. So I hadn't really focused in on what the different um, parts of my suicidality um, could, you know, I I could like separate them and look at each part of it. I was mostly looking at it as a whole. This is kind of what happened to me and how did the system, you know, how did I fall through the system? Right. So now, um, yeah, I see a huge, huge um, link between both my, addictions and my suicidality one of them being that a lot of people wonder when somebody is suicidal how they can feel some kind of relief or I wouldn't say happiness but maybe it translates that way when they're close to maybe even the date or once they start believing that that's what they're going to do but it's you're suffering so much pain that um the thought of that pain stopping however that be um makes you feel better so, um, that's kind of what addiction does for me. I would, you know, use these things to not feel what I was feeling the to the terrible emotions. And then I supposedly feel better. And so, suicide is similar in that I wouldn't be feeling those feelings. Of course, it's extreme. Sure. So, I would love to tell everybody that that's not the answer. Thank goodness I'm not suicidal any longer. And um, there's so many other answers in between that, you know, you can take. But um, but now I definitely see
0: a link between the two. Yeah, I, I truly believe that uh, us human beings do not like to be in pain, mm-hmm. right? And so what I've come to learn in my recovery is that pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Mm-hmm. And I so that. I was suffering in my addiction, and I had to get to the point where I was tired of it. Mm-hmm. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, and I too had have, have had that experience of of thinking about suicide as a as an option, right? And that's what got me to the point where I was like, I need help, mm. right? Yeah, I think a lot of people have that experience in our recoveries as circles throughout the the world, where they're just in so much pain that not even their addiction is helping them relieve that pain. And they get to this point where they're just like, okay, well, this is the final option. But as you said, there are other answers in between. Mm -hmm. Right. And sometimes we just need help to get that clarity. So I'm curious, uh, besides your sister, were there other people who were were on the path with you who helped you?
1: There has been. Oh, probably too many to mention. But it didn't start out that way. It started out with that one... I noticed it started out with that one person, my sister, Mm -hmm. who put the, um, you know, gave me the ultimatum and made me actually take, um, take action. Um, But of course, law enforcement was involved at one point. Okay. So I had that kind of um, initiative from them, you know, and then, um, so I'm not sure where it became. Uh, where I made the choice to continue it I know that at first it felt forced on me but all I would say all those people at the emergency room at the detox center at the rehab center I think all of those people helped mm. um, definitely and that's what I'm working on now with my suicide prevention work is that um, some were more helpful than others True. and a lot of times because of the training is what I'm finding out or how things have always been done but, um, and, and then eventually once I got out and I decided that that is what I wanted, I wanted to um, recover, then for sure there was people to reach out. My community, I, I, like I told you before, I do, I'm going the 12 step route. So AA is huge, huge in my life. To this day, it's so big because I, now I feel like I have to give back because of what I received. Um, it was just, a, just so big. I was having the not having my family of origin accepting me anymore so to find a family community that accepted me and um with my addiction and even you know were like happy to have me there and to hear about anything i was going through was just huge so i think that um them my my therapist for sure Um, At the beginning, it was probably mostly professionals, and then um, then my the twelve step community. But now I've found that because of my other addictions, I've gone to other twelve steps, and my recovery recovery community now has become my um, family. And um, some of those aren't so much twelve step uh, involved in twelve step, but like even spiritual. I meditate now, and so even that community has been amazing.
0: I love what you're saying about recovery community being family. That has been my experience since I walked in the door. And I think that's an important message to to our listeners that, you know, when you make a decision to go into a 12-step community to get help for yourself, you're also inviting other people in your lives who might even become like family. Right, oh, because because sometimes we have to leave our family of origin in order to get help, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it's beautiful that we can like walk into the arms of so many men and women in these programs. Yeah, you know? I
1: agree with you completely.
0: Yeah, and I always tell people there's a meeting some happening somewhere, you know, around the world at and all we're times. We're
1: super fortunate here in Seattle. Yeah, we have them um, almost twenty four seven here in Seattle. We But yes, definitely in the world.
0: Yeah, good. Wow. So how many fellowships are you a part of right now?
1: Um, I'm three. In in three uh, that I go to regularly. And it seems like I told somebody recently, I'm going to have to start going to a 12-step about 12 steps. Because
0: (laughs) I'm going to so many. I've heard that before. Oh, man. It's just.
1: But you know what? Um, I used to see it as a negative thing. I thought, man, what else can I be addicted to? But um, now what I find is like what we were just talking about. The support there is so big. And I'm starting to understand that addiction, for whatever reason, seems to be like a human thing to me. Um, it makes sense what you were talking about before, that we don't like to suffer. No. I don't think human beings are, we remain for that. So um, to looking to, or even start going to different um, communities to look for support, I think is the best thing. So, yeah, I go to three um, regularly because those are the, the three that I struggle with that affect my life negatively. And um, and then other I have several that I have considered that I probably should go to or at some time at least check out.
0: I like that. Just check it out, mm-hmm. right? You know, check out a couple of different meetings, different locations, and yeah. see if it's a good fit. And that's generally all you have to do. Right? And then you might hear what you need to hear in order to stay.
1: Yeah, sometimes you step into a room, at least this was my experience, you step into the room and the first time you're there, you hear your story or you hear something that affects you. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you're there and you're like, oh, okay, what am I doing here? But um, <laughs> the that's the benefit of having so many different ones. You can go to different ones because they are kind of like personality. Um, you know, some fit and some don't. And that's there's, okay, too.
0: There's over 200 throughout the world, 200 different 12-step communities. so whatever your issue is there is a room for you mm-hmm. and there will be people there who will embrace you yeah. and support you and not judge you and that's important to, oh, it is. to find it is. to get recovery and get sobriety it is important to have a space where you can be authentic and be vulnerable
1: Right, right. That's what I've found the most helpful, is that even in my suicide prevention work, I keep bringing that up, sorry, it's so important to me, but, um, is that that um, having something similar to that other person, especially something so painful and so deep, there's nothing that can um, equal that. I've found that I've been able to help people in ways that their loved ones haven't been able to, in ways that professionals haven't been able to. A lot of people who love them and who want to help them haven't been able to because they haven't gone through it. And when we have gone through it and we can connect to somebody else who has, there's an immediately, and that's what the person who um, started it, AA found out, is that um, there's nothing like that. It's almost like, okay, we're partners, now let's go hand-in-hand towards uh, betterment. and It's just amazing.
0: It's called, in my opinion, it's called empathy, right? To be able to understand and know another person's experience because you've you've shared you've had that experience yes similar experience and I find that in my work as a professional that's what helps me connect with my clients because Mm -hmm. I have people who are sitting right in front of me and I'm like yeah you're telling my story Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and when I say I understand it's authentic and they hear that right and that's why they stay Mm -hmm. because they know that I know recovery and I live recovery. In right. fact, that's my, my slogan for my business. Oh, right? Because um, I, have, I have to put that out there up front because recovery saved my life. Right? Um, I know that I'm an addict and will always be an addict, and I will always have to be working some program to address my addiction. Um, but what's most important to me is to know that I'm not alone. Right. And it sounds like you have a huge support system that is supporting you every step of the way, which is just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I have
1: to say, I think that as humans, that's how we were meant to, at least that's how it feels for me. We were meant to live, to have, and I've heard that this, um, I've not, i do not, have a, you need to look it up, but I've heard that there's a tribe somewhere that, um, when the somebody in their, um, tribe, um commits or does something wrong, that is hurtful in the tribe, instead of um, banishing them or punishing them, they celebrate them and they show them love so that they feel so much love that they wouldn't want to hurt somebody else in their tribe. And I just think, what a beautiful thing. I um, I feel that in um, my life that has really helped. Being punished and whipped and banished hasn't really helped me that much, but being, um, letting somebody know, or somebody letting me know that they understand and that they still love me, no matter what it is that I've expressed, has really been beneficial. for me.
0: Wow! Let me know when you find that. Yeah, That's... I have to look
1: it up. My um, I have a nephew who's a psychologist, and he told me, and I've never asked him for the details, but I thought, wow, sounds
0: amazing. Wow! Can you imagine okay. so? They of
1: course have very few, like theft, or even the children hurting each other, or I mean, just it's really huge. Hmm. Yeah.
0: You know, I have a friend who calls it the, the many gifts of recovery and um and also the gifts of addiction really right addiction has been a gift i can absolutely say that
1: i have to too i used to hear that all the time when people would say i'm a grateful recovering whatever and i was like how can i be grateful but no i do (laughs) i was
0: the same way i was like what's your problem (laughs) (laughs) okay but yeah totally yeah, I, I'm totally grateful. And, you know, uh, being in recovery and being able to to help other people and give people a space to be themselves is what gets me out of bed every every wow, day. that's amazing. You know, and so being able to put on this podcast and share other people's stories and their thoughts and their opinions, I think will help bring more people together and keep people sober.
1: I think so too, um, DJ. That's why I wanted to be a part of this because – I really feel like, um, like I was mentioning, what has been given to me has helped me get to where I am now. And if I could give any little bit of that feeling back to somebody, I'm totally up for it because it's just, it's amazing. It's almost like the opposite of, if we could name the things that I think um, were, like we tried to, um, the causes of addiction. I think that all the things that we can give back are almost like... um, The opposite of that, you know, it's like a kryptonite to all those negative things. We could um, provide love and and support for other people. And I think that we would all be better off. Wow,
0: that's amazing. That's beautiful. Well, Diana, thank you so much for, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope. I know that your story will be impactful to someone.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you for having
0: me. Yeah, thanks. Thank you for joining the discussion today on Making an Addict. In closing, I want you to understand that there are various opinions about addiction and what makes someone an addict. The opinions expressed here on today's show are those of the person who made them. I suggest you take what you heard, process it, and decide for yourselves what you believe in. If you have feedback or want to tell your story on the show, let me know by emailing makinganaddict at gmail.com, or you can reach me on social media. Again, I'm on Facebook and Twitter at djburr1022 and the thedjburr on Instagram. Lastly, thank you for giving me the opportunity to be of service. Recovery saved my life, and I will be forever grateful. I will keep giving back every opportunity I am given. Tune in next time to witness our ongoing discussion on Making an Addict. Making an Addict is produced by the Recovery Legacy Network, bringing you recovery on all fronts. Learn more at recoverylegacynetwork.com. Today's music features tracks by Spinning Merkaba and CDK. Check out makinganaddict.com for more information about our music.